Good day, we're here in uh, Pabeni entrance gate, one of nine uh, entrance gates on the South African side of the boundary of Kruger National Park. It's also the newest of the South African uh, entrance gates and uh, we're about to enter the park on our way to Skukuza. I'm Chris Patton, uh, one of uh, Sand Park's employees uh, stationed at our head office in Pretoria. Um, I'm a visitor interpretation and content manager for the organization and I'm here with my trusty sidekick, Pukela. Hi, my name is Pukela Leveya. I am a web content officer of the South African National Park based in head office, Kuruntuf, in the communication department. We are here in the Kruger National Park uh, going to Skukuza Rest Camp. You are welcome to join us on our trip. And we'll share some of our sightings and experiences with you. So you as the listeners get an idea of what the landscape of Kruger is like and what some of the wildlife you might encounter if you take a similar trip. Okay, well we're through the Babini Gate in the park proper and going over across a low level bridge. Um, it's dry at the time of year, uh, no water in it at all, just some uh, reeds that suggest that there's some subterranean water underneath the ground. Um, which are the rest of it is pretty dry and dusty. Oh. And uh, ooh, there's a big baboon, oh, a big male that's baboon. Exciting. like they have these impressive horns on their nose that are compressed hair and if you know one of the challenges that we have that horn is highly sought after by people living in the far eastern countries like China and Vietnam uh, they use it for various purposes aphrodisiacs and that sort of thing which chemically is all nonsense but when you've got traditions and beliefs they um, go out of their way to try and get hold of this stuff and as a result a whole industry, um, poaching industry has evolved, organized crime and it's one of the biggest challenges that the park has uh, but it's great to see them uh, only a couple of kilometers into the park which shows that despite the poachers best efforts there's still some that are alive and well and uh, that pair was just grazing peacefully at the side of the road. Okay, we're just a couple of kilometers from Pabeni Gate and the road is 
rising up quite a steep gradient um, surrounding uh, vegetation on both sides of the road is quite um, dense woodland um, there's marula trees uh, uh, which are sort of quite tall and there's shorter um, knob thorns and uh, things that look like tambuti and uh, yeah, quite dense so not open plain grazing as we get closer to Skakuza um, we should go into more open areas where we'll come across uh, more grazing animals uh, more typical of the area but um, the distance we've got to do to get to Skakuza is around about 40 kilometers it should take us an hour to an hour and a half depending on what we see hopefully we'll see quite a few things that we can share with you and um, yeah, because it's winter time now, it's August, we didn't mention that before. Um, there's not too much foliage on the trees. There hasn't been rain, or decent rain for quite a while. And uh, the felt is looking very, very um, bare and sparse and, and dry. And we're just coming up to some congestion up ahead. There's a whole lot of open safari vehicles and a couple of uh, normal sedans. So I think we've got something special. Hello, can you yeah. see anything? challenges of a sighting like this in the south of the park where there's a lot of tourists it can get a little congested and unpleasant um, so look a leopard's a, a nice thing to see but we've got good chances of seeing more and I suspect if there was a leopard around here that it's bolted and we won't see it even if we did stop and turn the engine off okay we're now descending down the hill on the other side we've just crossed a four-way stop where if we turned right, there would have been a gravel road that takes us to either Numbi Gate, one of the more southerly entrance gates, or to Pretorius Corpores Camp. And if we turn left, it would have taken us on the Sabi River Road, also a gravel road. We're on a tar road at the moment, one of the, the main access roads through the park. Um, and it's going to take us pretty straight in the direction of Skikuza. But um, some nice... Um, the surrounding area is not flat, but it's um, pretty expensive and it's a lot uh, less wooded now than it was um, a few minutes back. It's more open, so there's a bit more grazing um, and the, the um, bushes and shrubs are a little sh um, shorter and um, hopefully that'll be reflected in the kind of animals we get to see. Uh, but as I said earlier, it's very dry conditions. So it's not ideal grazing conditions, but um, yeah, hopefully we'll still see something good. What is it? The buffalo. It is, and it looks like an old bull. Yeah. And a dagger boy. So he's just stepped across the road, the car coming the other direction. Two of them had stopped to look at him. But we're on, the road is a little bit raised, 
in the surrounding felt and once they step off they kind of disappear pretty quickly but there he is an old gnarled bull many battle scars yeah if you don't know what an African buffalo or cape buffalo is it's a type of cow Ooh, and he's coming towards us with purpose a type of cow Ooh, it looks like he's got blood on his well, that must be mud. I think it's yeah, mud. It's mud. Yeah. It doesn't look too charmed. One of the more dangerous and powerful animals in the felt. And he's just walking towards us a little bit aggressively. So I'm just going to nip a little further forward. He's now crossing the road behind us by, what, 10 meters behind us. He's now stopped in the middle of the road. I suspect he's got one or two companions. The old bulls, when they get sick and tired of herd life they tend to go and form their little bachelor herds um, and a couple of other grumpy old men but um, yeah I can't see any can you see any maybe on yeah. that side yeah that's one yeah uh, is there okay yeah uh, right there next to the road that's the amazing thing about animals they can disguise and hide themselves so quickly and a lot of people if they're not paying attention will end up driving past fairly exciting stuff so our friend in the road has just laid a couple of patties, the nice warm brown smelly patties um, on the road. But yeah, they're a type of cattle, uh, but a lot more bulky and big than your domestic cows, um, and a lot more powerful. And uh, for most of their lives, they live in, in herds that can, in the park, uh, get up to a thousand or so strong. Uh, but most of the herds are, are a lot smaller and uh, you've got your, your bulls uh, that protect the herd and you've got your females that obviously have the calves to sustain the herd then as I said when the old bulls get old and grumpy they've had enough of family life and they form their own little loose bachelor herds with two or three other uh, grumpy old men okay we're just going to leave the tar road for a, a moment there's a quite a sizable dam called Nayamundwa that's on the south side of the road off to our right and I can see there's quite a few cars that are gathered down there so we're just going to go off there and sit and park and see what we can see um, it's an amazing time of day as the sun sort of reaches the horizon and strikes the trees and the, and the felt at a very sort of um, obtuse angle the colors are very different in, uh, to in the middle of the day and um, yeah it's just a wonderful atmosphere but um, yeah quite a big dam probably close to a kilometer long and about uh, half a kilometer wide um, I think it's a natural depression along a, a stream that they have artificially um, dammed to create a, um, a water body in the park and uh, there's usually a resident um, pod of hippopotamus and some water birds and uh, crocodiles and things like that and there should be a few other herbivores coming down to drink in fact away to our left on the dam wall itself um, which is sort of made out of earth as a herd of impala that are are either coming down to drink or just have drunk um, and there's some hippo over there in the south southeastern corner of the dam yes. you can just see their heads popping up above yes. the horizon there's quite a stiff breeze at the moment so 
the water is not not still it's a little bit choppy um, and as we come along the gravel road off the tar road we get to a turning circle around around a tall knobthorn tree and um, there's two or three other cars that are parked and so I just need to position myself so I'm not in their way um, and obscuring anyone's view and one guy seems to be either about to exit or looking for a more prime spot oh there's a oh, hippo, hippo Protestus, you want to describe that Pokemon? yeah it's a hippo a big hippo yeah relaxing in the water yeah gonna stop and turn the engine off. You want to put your window down? Yeah. Ooh, the Impala are running. Look at them scampering. Something spooked them. Yeah, we have more hippos here. You see the other one there? Yeah, quite close to us. Yeah. When I say close, probably what, about 30, 40 meters away, the one that's standing tallest out of everywhere. Look at that one with his little tail wagging and then he's yawning or his mouth wide open one of the biggest gapes in the animal kingdom yeah. hippos are big blubbery beasts probably standing a meter tall off the ground and they've got very sensitive um, brown and pink skin and they don't do so well out of water um, because they can't tolerate the sun and in um, dry conditions they struggle a because of the reduced water to protect them but also because they're grazers and at night they sort of forage looking for suitable grazing and um, often uh, there's just insufficient amount of food so we've got a surplus of hippo in the park at the moment and it's anticipated with the current drought conditions we're going to lose quite a lot of them because the the felt just isn't able to sustain sustaining and I see there's more impala over the far end yes. on the western end of the, of the <coughs> dam where the, um, the stream runs in oh there's a huge crocodile over there as well when I what? say huge uh, must be five six meters oh, long down there. Um, yeah if you look through the binocs just on the you see there's the impala herd standing about 10 meters to its left yeah. and this one's on the bank it's um, a real prehistoric dinosaur oh, looking, looking around the fringes of the dam there's a lot of water birds that are um, in evidence as well quite a few uh, African darters and um, smaller black and white ones are blacksmith lapwings you might hear them chinking they call sounds like the anvil of a blacksmith and they get very agitated and there's one of your <laughs> birds oh yeah Egyptian geese and then the one uh, in, in the middle of the water what, what do we call that the, the one on the stick if you pass the binoculars I think it's one of the African darters yeah it is it's also known as the snake bird because it's it's quite a, a big bird, probably about 60, 70 meters, um, centimeters long. Okay. Um, but it's got this very thin neck, and when it sort of um, sits in the water with its just its neck above 
the water level it looks like a snake so they call it the snake bird okay. but um, you know, it's a type of bird closely related to cormorants and uh, often found in the sort of major water courses in the park and I see there's some more hippo down that end there's another darter flying across, oh there's a fish eagle African fish eagle, one of the large eagles um, a sort of uh, beautiful chestnut brown colour on its wings and body but its tail and its head and chest are white and um, it's got a yellow and, and grey beak and they're called fish eagles because they feed on fish and if we're lucky we might get to hear him call um, but because it's quite windy he's sort of he or she, it could be a she, um, sort of battling to fly across um, but it's a beautiful sight, they're just gliding above the water and coming into land on the bank right next to them to the side of the dam which is quite unusual normally you see them perched or on the wing but to see them on the ground like that it's quite strange indeed they really are a magnificent sight and uh, hopefully we might get to hear them I do apologize for the engine sound that's the car next to us that has decided not to turn its engine off um, which is a bit inconsiderate to other other guests but each to their own there's no rule saying they have to turn their engine off but it would just be a little more pleasant if there was um, silence all around us okay as we're driving back on the road towards Kuza the sun is setting behind us and there's quite a low-lying cloud so there's an amazing um, spectrum of rich um, orangey yellow color as the sun sets towards the horizon but also I've described some of the trees and shrubs that are on both sides of the, of the road but what's also quite characteristic of this part of the park is there's a lot of termite mounds which are um, these ancient ecosystems where you've got a termite colony um, termites are a type of insect um, not dissimilar to an ant um, but are exclusively herbivorous and feed on on grass and, and that sort of thing and they build these compact almost like cement um, mounds uh, of earth that they sort of knit together with a combination of saliva and earth and uh, use that as their home for protection because it's obviously hard for um, most animals to be able to dig up um, the hardened termite mounds so they cannot get at the feast of, of um, grubs and, and um, adult termite mites that some animals just crave to eat but then nature has a funny way of adapting so you get animals that specialize in ripping open these termite mounds and they have uh, developed um, hardened claws that they use to um, break open termite mounds um, but yeah, they're dotted all over uh, the felt and um, provide um, part of the sort of picture of the landscape but also uh, ones that have been dug up can have holes in them that uh, other animals will be used will use for living we've also just driven past um, a rhino midden uh, we were lucky enough to 
see a couple of rhino as we came through the gate. So this is uh, clearly um, fairly good rhino territory. And how the rhinos work, they they mark their territory by depositing dung in a sort of uh, communal latrine, and then the males will kick their kick their dung and spray their urine to sort of mark their territories um, from other males. But I'm just reversing. We're driving past a marilla tree, and there's a, a troop of monkeys that are using it to roost. They've already gone up for the night, um, and are suspended probably what about 10 meters or so above above the ground one two three let me see three of them which is a very small little family group normally they're in much bigger troops vervet monkey oh, there's a fourth one there they've got black faces and uh, their fur on their heads and their body is a sort of gray color with a long tail and uh, yeah, because they're And monkeys. these ones are very young. Where are their parents? Uh, the bottom one is definitely a youngster, and that sort of top one too. But I think the one on the on the left, okay, and the one there, maybe sort of adult or sub-adult. What I'm suspecting might have happened is they might have been separated from their troop during the day, and this is not their sort of usual roosting spot. But they don't feel safe to go looking for their troop. Um, at this time of day, so they've just decided to cut their losses and spend the night in the nearest safe tree. Um, but yeah, it's um, good to see them. Oh, there's a fifth one at the back there, but even so, it's still a very, very small um, troop size. Normally there'll be 20, 30 uh, monkeys in a troop, and uh, to see them isolated like that, unless of course they're in another nearby tree and we're just missing the other ones but um, yeah I can only see those ones okay there's an eagle it's flying above us and because it's late in the day it's battling to fly uh, with the thermals it looks like a tawny eagle which is um, a large brown eagle and um, it's being mobbed in flight by a number of swallows things like that and yeah normally in the heat of the day an eagle relies on sort of uh, air currents and thermals to to um, plan its flight but this one is um, struggling to to fly so it's having to sort of flap its wings and um, yeah it's probably looking for a place to roost and just drifted over the horizon out of sight and then what are these? Those are um, swifts. The ones with the squarish tail are little swifts, um, which are a bird that spends most of their life on the wing. Um, they're insect feeders and um, just flying around. But the ones with the long, uh, more tapering tail are white rumped swifts. And they're also inter African migrants and they'll just have returned from further north. They both are sort of blacky colour, okay. but they've got white on their rump. The white rump swift has got a thin white rump, whereas the little swift uh, also has a white rump and a much broader white rump. Um, so maybe white rump swift is not the best name for them, but nevertheless that's their name. This tree ahead, this marilla tree, is quite interesting because you can 
see all the scrappy nests. Um, those are the nests of a, a bird, one of the uh, little five that's called the buffalo weaver. Okay. Um, and it's a nest of, of sticks, a very stuffy, not the sort of compact, well-woven uh, weaver nest of um, mast weavers and other weavers will make. Um, and also what's interesting, they tend to always be on the northwestern side of, of a tree because the winds that blow through the park usually blow from east to west and it's often a way of um, telling the direction if you're lost in the bush um, if you come across a tree that has those uh, buffalo weaver nests uh, you'll know be able to work out which direction is north from their positioning in the tree they're bigger than most weaver birds they're a black color and they've got a red beak and then they've got some white on their wings much more stocky they're almost starling size as opposed to sparrow or finch size which most weaver birds are um, but yeah like I say called the buffalo weaver one of the park's little five okay there's a whole lot of cars stopped in the opposite direction because there's a family of southern ground hornbill that are strutting across the road and into this uh, felt on the verge of the road these are the biggest hornbills in the park They've got these huge big beaks uh, that look like a horn um, and the adult birds have got um, red um, bare skin that covers their faces. They are also known as turkey buzzards um, but that's um, a mistaken name. Their uh, body and, um, and wings are a black color and um, they've got quite long legs. They probably stand half a meter above the ground and they've got the most amazing long eyelashes and this one on our that's just walking past the park I think is a female the female's got a little bit of blue on its throat um, there seems to be a little bluish hue and um, so there's a party there's one on our on our left on the northern side of the road and then five others on the right and they're all adults because they've got the red fleshy skin except that one at the back has an orangey color the youngsters have a yellow uh, facial skin and um, you can see that one's just changing from yes, yellow, to, yellow red. to red so it's an orangey color so it'll be the youngest one of the group um, and what they do they strut through the felt all day and they feed on lizards and locusts and uh, beetles and whatever they can find but um, yeah, we've spoken about some of the big five, uh, but also in the park we talk of the birding big six, and um, that's the first one of those six that we've seen, and um, it's currently quite an endangered species because outside of parks they are used for the traditional medicine trade, um, and they get um, killed and, and captured in um, areas of sort of, um, of land outside of parks so places like Kruger National Park are their last um, bastion um, where they survive in, in relatively good numbers um, but yeah, they're such charismatic species to sort of see that you can sit and follow a family of ground hornbills all day as they strut through the fence they really have a sort of um, jerky walking motion and uh, they're pretty comfortable
meters at um, three o'clock to where we parked are a couple of wildebeest. Wildebeest are a type of antelope that um, are grazers, one of the favorite foods of lion and hyena and I can see now there's, there's more than a couple. They're usually in, in loose herds. There's probably 10 or 20 of them. Yes. They're a sort of dark gray-brown color. They often hang out with um, other herbivores like zebra um, and that's partly because safety in numbers because they're both um, desired food items for for your predators. It's um, you know, the more eyes and ears and, and noses that are present in an area the more likely you are to pick up any pending danger and uh, that's why you often find herbivores clinging um, together in loose, loose herds with other, other herbivores. The wind picked up and it became very hazy and then we realized that we were having to get back to camp. There's um, a gate closing time and if you don't get back to camp uh, by that gate closing time you have to pay a fine. So we had to press on and through the windy hazy conditions it probably was quite a good thing. We have driven past a few animals, seen herds of impala, um, and just seen a, a big uh, boar uh, warthog, type of wild pig with curled white tusks, um, and also passed the local uh, traffic officer who has his speed cameras, so looking out for people who are rushing to camp um, at just before gate closing time and potentially endangering themselves. And, uh, and wildlife and other vehicles so that's one of the reasons we have to have a, a speed regulation in the park um, and on the tar roads that is 50 kilometers an hour um, for guests staff are allowed to drive a little bit quicker uh, up to 65 um, whereas on gravel roads uh, the speed limit is 40 kilometers per hour um, we're in good time, we've got a couple of kilometers to go and then we'll be at Skukuza Rest Camp. So, um, yeah, we're not going to get a fine tonight. And um, then we can check in to our accommodation and go and see what we're going to do about supper. Okay, we're just driving into camp, Skukuza Camp, and away to the west is this magnificent red fireball as the sun almost descends down to the horizon through this hazy, cloudy um, conditions that uh, are present at the moment. But yeah, it really looks like it's on fire. There's a lovely crimson hue that's shimmering off it. Uh, a little bit more yellow towards its center. But yeah, like a giant fireball. Real magnificent sight and a lovely way to end the day. And uh, you'll hear the noise as we go over the get into the camp so we're safe we made it in time and just pulling into the reception building which is a massive uh, thatched a a frame um, building 